Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times Books podcast. And I'm in conversation today with Father Richard Lamy, one of our freelance contributors. And we're going to be talking about the book we've chosen as this month's book club title. And this month's pick is My Father's House by the distinguished Irish writer Joseph O'Connor. Now, Richard, you nominated this book as a book club choice. Can you start by telling us, please, just a little bit about the story? What's it about? Um, Yes, I can, Sarah. Thank you. So it's set in Rome in 1943. Uh, It's a book that kind of crosses over various um, types of books, various genres, I think, um, focusing on the life of Monsignor uh, Hugh O'Clarty, who's a papal diplomat, uh, an Irishman brought up during the separation of Ireland in the 1920s. And he's in Rome when the war comes and he ends up leading a resistance network of friends he's made over many years. And in some ways, it's a story about his personal courage. It's a story about the city and the times he lives in. There's a great rivalry, a great tension between him and the German SS commander. Uh, And it's also a celebration of friendship, I think, as well. So a lot of big themes in one person's life. And was it a story you were familiar with, this story of this network and this particular individual, Monsignor Hugh? Uh, Not at all, no. I saw a book review, um, bought the book, read it, loved it, and... um, really excited about it. And you describe it in your introductory piece as stylish, gripping and inspiring. And I entirely agree. It's all of those things. Um, But for me, it was also just one of those real reminders of how awful conditions are under occupation in wartime. And there's nothing remotely kind of romantic about the reality of the life um, at the time, is there? A little bit of romance, just in terms of his ability to seize the moment and make a lasting difference. It's something, maybe it's heroic rather than romantic. It's a kind of everyday heroism. So there's nothing romantic. It's not a life you would choose, but it's a life that he um, kind of finds himself leading almost against his own wishes. Uh, And so it's a a heroic opportunity uh, that many people wouldn't have seized, but there's nothing romantic. It is is grey and depressing and his diet's appalling and living in such a limited world. There's there's there's, a... a lot about the world he lived in before Rome in the 30s, even with the rise of Mussolini, where he was, uh, he loves films, he loves boxing, he um, loves traveling the city. He's completely in love with the whole city of Rome. And then he's actually, in the end, restricted to this very small Vatican city. Um, and um, it's dark, it's grey, it's depressing. Um, it, it, he's um, starving um, and trying to, yeah, it's, yeah, nothing romantic about that side of it at all. Yeah. And of course, it's set in the winter, the main part of the action, isn't it? So it's all sort of very grey and cold and kind of, you know, miserable in lots of ways. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. And where, where's the wood coming from? Where's the, where's the meals coming from? Yeah. Yes. And one of the interesting things about him, of course, is that he grew up hating the British. And yet, you know, he ends up having a complete turnaround, doesn't he? Ending up, um, you know, saving, working with the British, saving, you know, allied um, forces, completely has a complete turnaround from his sort of, you know, from his kind of cultural upbringing, which I thought was really interesting. It's definitely, I mean, it's worth saying this is all based on a true story, that he he was a real character, a real person. Um, And there's something very compelling about that, that, that journey that he makes 
that he, he goes along to this prisoner of war camp in 1941, kind of grudgingly almost, he, part of his job, he has to do it. And when he comes face to face with the way these prisoners are being treated, some of them are Catholics who ask for his prayers, and then it all kind of snowballs from there. So he tries to um, improve their conditions a tiny bit, and the Germans push back so strongly and say, you've made their life worse by showing any kindness. Mm. And then he just realises that actually these British soldiers that he was brought up completely hating and um, all the songs in the pubs and all the sense of a kind of national identity forming, that their humanity is bigger than the kind of image he had of them. And he becomes uh, a massive defender of, of the poor and the weak and the needy, mm. which I think is fairly basic Christian teaching, but he comes back to it with a real vengeance. Yeah, yes. And so these sort of, we've we've got to touch on the main characters, if we call that. So there's there's Monsignor Hugh, who is real, and the German Gestapo officer, um, who O'Connor calls Paul Hauptmann. We were talking earlier, I think he's actually a composite, isn't he, of other Gestapo leaders. He, he himself, this particular man, didn't um, exist, although there seems to be a lot of overlap between him and... Um, a German officer called Herbert Kapler, who was a, a real person. Um, you talk in your introduction to the piece about this compelling pas de deux between the two of them. How successful do you think the author is in creating these two characters? I think perhaps a little bit more with Monsignor Hugh, I think, because you see him through his friends. Um, you see him through other eyes as well. So you get um, kind of text of interviews, you get some of his own writing. So you do get a, a fuller sense of him as a rounded person because you see him, his inner life through his own writings and his kind of how he is to friends and why he has friends and why he's so popular. Which you don't really get that with Hauptmann. You just get really him in himself and him as he interacts with uh, Monsignor Hugh. So I think you don't get the same rounded thing. But then it would be a very, very different book and a very, very tricky book if he was given a much richer personal life than he is that yes. you know he's meant to be a fearful person because he, he's a horrible yeah. person yeah. and actually there's moments where there's one page in particular where uh he very casually refers to removing the body of the prisoner he's just interrogated in a mailbag not to upset the neighbors and at the bottom of the page he's being the playful father for his two children putting cream on his upper lip um over hot chocolate at christmas so you have this even that is unsettling enough. So I think it would be impossible to have a, a full life for somebody who is such a horrific, evil... Well, maybe that's the whole point of the book, that we're not actually meant to see him as entirely evil. He's caught up in times as well. But he's certainly doing things which are appalling without much thought and without much reflection. Yes. Although I have to say, I did like the fact that we saw that family moment because I think it would be, otherwise he would have been a sort of cardboard cutout monster. Um, so he was allowed, the author does give him a bit of the sort of humanity. Um, is, it, is it not a, is it a minor cliche? Do we um, not know already? Do we not know already that a lot of concentration camp guards went home to their families? There's... Yes. Uh, yeah, sure. But I'm glad, I'm still glad there was something. I think otherwise it would have been a bit grim. Um yes. And, yes. You were, you and it's saying... almost worse, isn't it? It does make it much worse. Yes. He's going back and being loving to his children while also randomly and arbitrarily assassinating, torturing people. And yeah. there's some really, really um appalling moments where if you stop to think what's just happened, you really, really realise quite what he's responsible for. It's really shocking, isn't it? I mean it's it's a it yeah, profoundly shocking. And it's right that we're shocked all over again, yes. I think, by what went. And the stakes. Mm. You realize quite high, how high the stakes are for yeah. the yeah. network and the people that he's hiding. Yes, because otherwise and, it's just an adventure story, otherwise, without that real sense of danger. Did they meet each other twice? 
Yes. Anyway, they, they, they're very, 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 very aware of each other all the time. They're, they're circling each other. They're looking out for each other, trying to trap each other and get away with things and, and succeed. But they only actually meet each other twice, I think, and, the, and neither time is in daylight or in the open air. So they ne do they ever actually properly come face to face? I'm not sure they do. No. But they're always, always in opposition. I think yes. that's that's really well done. Yes, there's a sort of looming presence, isn't there? Um now, I think you've got views about Hauptmann's wife. You'd have liked to, perhaps a bit more on her. I would. I think that would have been. I'd like to know more about what he, what Hauptmann was like before the war. Who did she fall in love with? She says at one point, "I didn't marry a Nazi," and fascinating to know what sort of person he was before. And then she has this massive conflict between. So that overstates it. It, it isn't developed at all, and I wish it had been more developed. Or again, that might be another book. But she has this because she's a Catholic. And so there's this, she kind of stands almost between the two of them, that she's deeply in love with, with Hauptmann and, and also drawn to the, the church that, that he represents and embodies. So I'd like to know more about her as, a, as an individual and the, conf, the conflict she's living through yeah. as well as a kind of in-between. But that, as I say, would be a different book. Yes, and there is, we, we mustn't give too much away, but she actually plays a role, an unwitting role in it, which, I'm you know, is a sort of plot device somewhere along the line. We, perhaps we won't go there, um, but she's sort of there, but sort of invisibly, isn't she, um, without her own agency? Yes, it's, it's useful yeah. and important, yeah. but I'd like to know, I wish we'd have more of her. Yeah, yes. Um, we've already touched on this, but we should say something about the style that the author uses, because it's a real mix of different voices, of reportage, of diary entries. And there's a sort of I think it sort of creates a bit of a patchwork um, effect. But it really also drives home the fact that this story is inspired by historical events. And I just wondered if this rather sort of patchy approach, did that work for you as a reader? Because I think it, some people might find it a bit off putting. I think it works really well, but you do have to pay attention to know, are you reading something by Osmond Hugh? Are you reading, is it his diary? Is it his letter? Is it his personal kind of reflection? Is it one of his friends writing afterwards, looking back on his life? Is it uh, the text of an interview? There's letters from Hauptmann as well. There's there's reports, that are official reports that you, you read. So I think it does work very, very well at piecing together a life rather than being a single person narrative. And I think it's never showy. It's never done for. Yeah. I've just read the, the Ink Black Heart by J.K. Rowling, the new Common Strike one, and I know a lot of people have found that quite hard to follow all of the chat. And that feels a little bit. Like, I, I mean, I, I got it. I understood it. I could. I could read it. But this never feels intrusive in the way that that sometimes does. This always feels like it's adding something or giving you something fresh. Yes. Um, okay. And it's not done in a. The voice is not that different either, is it? You don't feel you've got a completely different writer for each of them in a way. Yes. I think. It I, still feels like it's Joseph O'Connor writing in a different voice rather than being completely separate. Yes, because these aren't, as far as we know, these aren't actual real documents, are they? I mean, there's an extensive reading list at the back, but I don't think these are actually excerpts from real papers, as far as we know. No, I think it's all it's all him, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but, but purporting to be interviews after the war or... Or something. Yes, yeah. And so one of the strongest themes in the book is courage, uh, Monsignor Hughes' courage, but also that of others. But it's also, it's about friendship as well, isn't it? I think it's fabulous. I think we don't do enough about friendship. Uh, we don't value friendship as a society as much as we should. And I think Hugh is definitely the hero of all this. None of it would happen without him and his 
conversion essentially to a, a more Christian faith in a way. But then none of what he achieves would be possible without the friends he's built up over the years and the friends he makes during the war as well. In the sense, they find a common cause by their loyalty to him. And they're also inspired separately by the need to change the world and do something and just just not be passive. And he forms this really, I mean, it would be a great film, wouldn't it? It probably will be a great film yes. at some point, but none of the characters around him are, are weak or, or, or shadowy. They're all fully formed and you get a real sense of who they all are, whether that is the kind of Michael Caine played uh, butler who can get everything you want through yeah. to... Some really, really um, well-drawn women as well, I think. So far, we talked most about the men. Yes. But actually, yes. the women in the group are also quite well-formed. Uh, you know, the, Whether they're local, whether they're from, from Holland, wherever they're from, they're really well-formed, I think. You get a real picture of why they're friends and why they want to be friends with him. So there's something there about he's only, he's only able to do as much as he is, Hugh, because of the, the group he forms around him who all have a unique job to do and all are fully formed and all committed and they all know the risks as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing it partly for each other, but they're doing it mostly because they believe in it and really need to do something. Yeah, yes. And I like the fact that, I mean, most of them have a backstory, but it's done with a very light touch. Um, but you sort of see how they ended up, you know, either geographically in Rome or, or in the place where they wanted to be part of this. Yes. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, the, 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 this group sort of comes together under the guise of um, a, a choir and being a choir practice. And I, I was I found that somehow very, very moving, this idea of coming together and singing. And it was as a good combination of reasons. It was the sort of sense of, um, you know, it being quite clever that people would turn up, you know, with their music and they'd all arrive and they'd rehearse. But also this sort of sense, it's sort of almost metaphorical that you have the individual voices, but but a choir is so much more than the sum of its parts. Um, and so they do genuinely sing, but in amongst this, um, they're, you know, they're sort of, you know, passing messages to each other or, or explaining things or whatever. But there was also something very, for me, just quite powerful about the idea of in this hideous situation, people getting together to sing. Um, did it strike you in that way? I, do, I have a number of favourite scenes and the, the description of them meeting and the, how they meet and what it was seen from the outside and the way that they are using it as a means of, of, of a cover story. They're getting their their tasks, so they're getting the plan together while people are singing. But they also are just genuinely loving singing and doing something positive and, you know, pl planting a flower in the dust after the storm or whatever. There's something about this moment, us together, uh, is something good in the midst of a horrific situation and and, 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 a, and a mad world. And and just, you know, the music they sing is not all, that. it goes back to their roots, it, it goes back to songs of their childhood, it goes back to things that made them them as well. So they're sharing themselves while they're singing. And it's not always good, but all of them can sing perfectly, which yeah. is, again, yeah. really nice. That, you know, everybody is included. It's, it's a model of something. It, um, it is. It is it what of the church? Yes. Well, one would <laughs> it, like to think the so. Is best? Yeah. But it reminded well, we me right. yeah, some of those um, enormous mass online singing things that people did during the pandemic, which was all sorts of mm. people from all around the world singing together. And that was kind of, you know, it was so imperfect singing online, but somehow it was profoundly moving because it was a way of people joining in something bigger. And this kind of longing we have, deep human longing for connection and community, and something about singing that releases um, releases things deep inside us, I think. Or well, that's what it was for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also because that, that scene in particular is told by somebody else who isn't 
Hugh, you get to see Hugh at work. Yes. And kind of soothing people, challenging people, getting the best out of everybody in terms of his leadership, but also quite a firm hand as well, because we're not singing, we're not singing that. Yes. Uh, and we're not applauding each other. And there's a real sense of him holding it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And, and we could be arrested at any moment, but we're yeah. going to keep singing now. It's, I think it's a fabulous um, yeah. idea, but it's also um, a really well written scene. Yes, no, I agree. Beautifully done. Um, so much of the novel uh, focuses on one particular night, which is Christmas Eve, 1943. And there's this very sort of complex and meticulously planned emergency nighttime mission. And I wanted to pick out a couple of things here. Um, first of all, for me, um, the sense of jeopardy in the description of this scene. Well, it's not even one scene. It goes on and on and on. Um, the, the sense of jeopardy is really vivid and you don't know who's going to survive and who doesn't. And I found myself wondering if it would make a difference to a reader, depending on whether they knew what the ending is. Because um, in some senses, you know, once you've read the book, you do. And some people will know it because, you know, they will be more familiar with the story than either you or I were. But do you think, I mean, what did you think about that sense of jeopardy? Do you find it it compelling? I'm trying to think if I've read anything like it. I think it's really unusual to have, it's not quite a heist movie, is it? But it's, it's really unusual to have that kind of all the eggs in the basket, success or failure, triumph or disaster in one kind of evening and not to be told quite what's happening and for it to go on for a quarter of the book or something yeah. like that. Yes. Uh, I, th I don't think I've read anything quite as chaotic as that. It, I mean, I'm sure that what, I'm sure that, that there definitely was a plan. Uh, Connor definitely, you know, he's, he's planned it impeccably. But as the reader, you just don't know what's around the next corner. You don't know where he's going. You don't know what the risks are, but you just know risk is everywhere. Yes. And actually, when things do get start to go wrong, it's completely unexpectedly. So suddenly, yes. you come around a corner. And so you're turning the page as nervous Yes. As, yes. As, as he is. And all the things that go wrong couldn't, couldn't have been planned for. It, it, I think it's superb. Yes. Um, as long as you don't mind being completely lost in the streets of Rome. Which, um, which yes, leads me to the next question I was thinking about, or my, the next reflection was that it's it's very complex and confusing. I mean, there's actually a map in the book, but I don't think that helped at all. I don't know about you, but I didn't even attempt to sort of follow along with the map. But I, I suppose no. I, one of my questions was how much... Uh, the author was trying to convey a literal journey or how much was it actually really just about the web of relationships and the complexity of the situation? I mean, what, what do you think his aim was there? It is a kind of parable, isn't it, I think, as well. But I think you're meant to just buy into it and go with it and yeah. and, and feel the adventure and and the, and the fear. You know, there's so I think what's so impressive about Hugh as a character is that he's massively determined and committed while also being always overwhelmingly squashed by personal risk and the risk to all his friends. Yeah, yeah. If this goes wrong, yes, world ends yes. for everybody he loves and cares yeah. for, and, and and a few thousand others. So yes, yeah, the stakes yeah. are immense, and I think some of that kind of pressure and and terror is is really clear around uh, yeah. every corner. And I think you just need you would need to sit down and actually write down exactly what's happening on each page to really understand it. Um, but the mood of it and the and the um, kind of trajectory is very clear. Yeah, yes, I think. absolutely. And the sense of team as well. I think that's what really impresses yes. um, that everyone rallies around. Uh, even though it's meant to be a solo mission, he ends up... Yes. 
and, um, and also all sorts of other shadowy characters who who sort of appear and have a role to play that we never find any more about and it doesn't matter oddly you know it's it doesn't feel like a device but you know the the people i don't know there are lots of people in in the shadows aren't there yes they're not alone they're supported by yeah other people who are just they'll yes. do a bit but they can't yes yes so this yes. giant spider's web are just extraordinary um and and i think it's it's probably impossible to read a book about the impact of war in Europe without thinking about the war in Ukraine today. And I wondered if that was part of the appeal for you in choosing this book. I think um, these themes are always, 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 always true uh, and applicable. And and as, as people of faith, I think in particular, we're kind of obligated to be disciples. And this in this situation is what discipleship looks like for him. So I think there's definitely an impact and a, a, a kind of connection with the situation in Ukraine, but that's also true in every, you know, hopefully, prayerfully, God willing, this will pass, but there will be the next and the next yes. and the next. So I think these these themes are always true about how we're called to live. And even if we're not in a, in a time of catastrophe like this, we still have choices to make about what we stand up for and yes. what our values are and what we do about it. Yes, you, have, um, you, you put this in, in your piece about it being a warning against passivity, an inspiration to courage and an invitation to stand for the gospel, even with the, when those in authority draw back, which I thought summarised it beautifully, um, because he is really standing against the tide, isn't he? And there's a scene early on where it's very, it's made very clear that the Roman Church wants nothing to do with him and wants yeah. him to stop immediately, uh, and he and he and he has a no intention of doing that. Yeah, he just it's another it's another obstacle to work around. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah. and there's quite a lot in the book, obviously, about about faith and the role of the church um, and lots of biblical references. And so the title, for example, is quite clever, isn't it? My Father's House. You will have picked up lots and lots of the of the religious references. Do you think there's any, do you think people would be disadvantaged if they weren't reading it with with a sort of knowledge of faith? I think it's a, it's a layer, isn't it? But I think you could, you would enjoy the book quite apart from that. And th yeah, I, th I think the title is amazing, isn't it? Because it works on about three or four different levels. That sense of, of what the Vatican is for him is, is a place of safety where they can't get him. It, it's, it's about um, a place of welcome for all nations, and it's a place of safety. And and he he's not he is taking sides, but he's also not taking sides in that he's helping where the need is. Yeah. And you can imagine if if the roles were reversed and he was if it was the other way around and it was other people suffering, then he would be equally motivated to help them. So that sense of it being a home for all nations is, is really powerful. And I love that it is designed to appeal to, sorry, I've drifted slightly off the subject, but it is designed to appeal to people who, who get church in a way, isn't it? Because you have this whole thing about the choir and, um, you know, the people they, they um, hide away are called books. And it's less like designed directly to appeal to people. Yeah, <laughs> church times. Yeah, absolutely, which is great for us. Yes, I've got no complaints about that. And the final thing I wanted to ask you really was that towards the end, there's a discussion about repentance and forgiveness um, that takes place sort of after the war, I guess. And there's a paragraph near the end of the book where um, Monsignor, who writes, um, he's, I mean, he's obviously a deeply holy man, but he writes a, a letter to a friend. And if I just read this little bit, he's, he writes... I do not understand or even like several of my Redeemer's teachings. Think of yourself not much better. Offer good to those that hate you. 
Like many of my sex, I've often felt profoundly that God made a terrible mistake in not making me God, that the world would be without darkness or difficulty if only I ruled it. Had I been the Almighty, I would have put several matters rather differently. And reading that, I mean, you're a priest, Richard, you're a man. I just wondered what you made of that um, description of, of Monsignor Hughes there. I think it's a, it's a very good thing to kind of encapsulate something at the heart of the book, which is his uh, humility and confidence all wrapped up in the same uh, the same sentence. I'm not, I, mean, I probably should ask you, it's not entirely a male thing, I don't think, to think we could do a better job, but I think it probably it often is. I, I just really like the fact that he has all of these doubts, has all of these personal kind of opinions and, and values and things he wishes he would do to change the world and he'd do it differently and better. But he's also, that doesn't stop him doing something. Yeah. And it also means that he, he knows he's human, which I think makes him a good priest and a good a good person as well, that he doesn't really think that. Yeah. He has moments where he thinks, I would do it better, but he's still utterly dependent on God and yeah. trying to discern what God wants. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a great... Is, is a great kind of note to capture a lot of the book, which is it is about Hugh, about his faith, about his trying to live in a world which is suddenly upside down and tr be true to himself, be true to his values, be true to his God, uh, be true to his calling, be true to his friends, be true to humanity uh, in the midst of a world where everything is upside down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's a it's a beautiful it's sort of a nice summing up at the end, really, isn't it? Um, of, of about all about him. So we've been discussing My Father's House by Joseph O'Connor, and you can read Richard's introductory essay and find some questions for discussion in the Church Times and online. And finally, Richard, um, I always ask people this. Can you recommend something else you've read recently that you think our readers might enjoy? Um, I will probably skip the um, book on American football. Right. Um, and instead, <laughs> um, I have to confess, I stayed up quite late last night uh, finishing uh, Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Right. Uh, which is the sequel to uh, Magpie Murders, which yep. was on TV yes. quite recently. And I, I think anything by Anthony Horowitz is amazing. I don't think there's anybody else writing basically just really good detective stories, but with a with a, a really confident twist. Yes. So the, the Magpie Murders and the Moonfly Murders um, are about a, a book editor who uh, edits a kind of Agatha Christie, her Kapoor knockoff uh, called Pund, uh, who hates the author yes. who writes them. And there's basically a, a contemporary mystery that has to be solved by reading the um, Atticus Pund book. Yes. See, the first half of the book is the kind of modern mystery. Then you get the whole Pund book in the middle. And then that's the clue that gives you the answer in the last third or whatever so uh, i think they're fabulous I, I love everything he's written recently the um the Sherlock holmes two are brilliant and he has three where he himself is the uh kind of detective so uh, this idea of anthony horowitz as yes having to investigate as well they're all just really really good murder mysteries or detective mysteries but with a very very clever and, and there's a real wit about them, isn't there? I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy. Um, he's he's very sort of funny, very you know, very kind of. Um, there's a real spark about them, which which is just really engaging. Um, it's just yeah, and it's just masterful, isn't it? So he's just he's just 
like a conductor just bring yeah. it all in and yeah. uh, he's composed it himself and then he's conducting it himself and he just knows exactly he's on top of his game i think yeah. they're yeah. fabulous so moonflower murders Anthony horowitz but you probably should read magpie murders first thank you very much richard and thank you for talking to us um about my father's house by joseph o'connor uh, which i think is a book we would both heartily recommend to our readers thank you Absolutely. thanks sarah Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.